Anticipate Media proudly presents another episode of the Neat Creative Brief Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is episode nine for February 29th, 2016. This is your host, Paul Antico. This is going to be very brief tonight because I don't have a lot of time, but I want to address in episode nine a little bit of a follow-up to the FS5, and I want to talk about collaboration platforms for sharing your videos with clients and getting feedback. Let's take the uh, collaboration section first. Um, many of us have continued to use Vimeo, which is a great service. I love Vimeo. They are friends of Anticipate Media, have been for years. And it continues to be a great way to share videos and, and, and uh, password protector videos, and you can download videos. Vimeo now offers or is rolling out adaptive streaming which will allow you to stream 4K video, uh, 2K, and uh, it gives even the free people HD now everywhere, including embeds. And it will automatically scale up or down depending on the person's signal, or they can force it by clicking on the little HD banner and choosing what kind of HD they want, Ultra HD, regular HD, or something lower. Um, I find it works quite well, um, and uh, it looks great. Um, also, they've added uh, hidden links, hidden URLs, like YouTube has had for a while, where you can send someone a URL that nobody can see. You can't search for it on a search engine. It's like it doesn't exist, but it doesn't need a password. And, of course, they have password protected, as they have for many, many years, which is, I think, awesome. And uh, another advantage they have over YouTube is that you can upload and change videos over time, you know, with the same link and the same um, comments and so forth. Uh, you can also have uh, private review pages um, that uh, remove all the Vimeo branding and have similar limitations. But there is no way to really comment on a video. When I mean comment, I mean send a video to your clients, have them watch it, and have them have the ability to mark by time cleanly and clearly what they like and what they don't like on the video, what they want changed and what they don't. It's kind of like a Google docs for video files um, or a word you know with tracking on uh, for 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 video files um, so that you can continue to do revisions and go back and forth and add and remove things and you can see on a on a time code linked comments exactly what your clients want and what they don't want uh, one uh, platform I have not yet tried, but I, I just signed up for today, I'm going to try, is Whipster, W-I-P-S-T-E-R dot I-O. They now have Vimeo integration, which will allow you to basically upload your files to Whipster, um, keep modifying them, um, getting final approval, and then dumping the original file back into Vimeo for final publishing and, uh, you know, for to live there for your clients to uh, grab or whatnot. Um, that's really great because it's nice. You can just do everything in Whipster and then when you're done, click one link and they send it over to Vimeo. You don't have to re-upload anything. Um, I don't know if it works with 4K yet. I believe it does. Um, I have a question out to them as to whether that works. If you are a Vimeo Plus or Pro subscriber, you can get 20% off. And it's by seat. So uh, each seat is a team member that can upload videos and, and control the content and make projects and so forth. So if you have multiple editors perhaps uploading different versions of rendered videos, each person would need a seat. 
that's $15 a month a seat or $12.50 uh, with the Vimeo discount. That offers, however, and this is not clear on their website at all, but it, uh, it, what is clear is it offers unlimited projects, unlimited um, files, unlimited storage, unlimited HD, unlimited everything. And it also offers unlimited clients. In other words, your collaborators or your clients, anybody, doesn't even have to have an account. They can link over to the Whipster uh, link that you give them. They get a short 15-second video on how to use the site, and they can add and remove comments and so forth. And uh, if you send it by email, and they go in by their email versus just a direct link, it will track them by their email so they can see revisions. This is how I understand it anyway. So the team member could be you, the producer of a company that funnels all the revisions to the client through this website. And everything else is funneled to you from your editors by, say, Final Cut Pro XML files. Like, that's what I do with my editors. I use Final Cut Pro 10, and we have identical drives of source data. If there's any source data that has to be added, say, new um, assets or so forth, I will ship them to them over Dropbox usually or on another hard drive, and they'll combine it into the main library. But everybody basically shares the same data. And then as the editor makes edits, they send me over an XML file, kind of uh, a file to, to, to share the edits with. I import that uh, XML file into my project, and then I get a new uh, version of the project with their edits in it. Uh, this worked very well in my last edit because everything is in there. You can also send it to an assistant editor and have them say, um, notate all your interview lines. So they go in there and they select ranges and they, in the notes column, they uh, add all the interview notes for you. And there are tools to help you do this as well. But just if you want to do it manually, that's how we've been doing it. And then that person sends the XML back to you. You import it and uh, boom, you have all your stuff in there. It's a really nice way to do things. You can even go one step farther and just skip the XML and just save the project file. Because now, uh, for a while now, Final Cut Pro 10 allows you to split out all the media and cache separately. So what you do is you send all the media as, you know, whatever documents, uh, files in, in a folder like media. And then you send them um, the project file. Project files are usually tiny. So as long as you're both pointing to the same external media file, and you can call it, you have to call it the same thing. Um, although you could relink if you wanted to. It's smart relinks. It's very nice like that. And uh, you keep your media in sync, which is, you know, standard in any NLE. You can use the actual project file. And when you import the project files, you can combine them together. Um, or you can import the project files, you know, into your current event. And uh, you don't even have to mess with the XML. I mean, everything's native. It's uh, basically a container to share data back and forth. And uh, well, I haven't done it in a little while because I've been doing a lot of the editing myself, editing myself. I do remember that it worked very well on one of the projects I did last year where we went back and forth sharing just the um, project file, which is really like the library. It's essentially the library. was shared as a container with external media um, pointing to it. So the library file with the cache also outside of that file. So you put the cache in a media file or media uh, folder somewhere. So all your stuff, your big stuff lives outside of that library. So the library file itself is very small. 
and you guys can just send it back and forth and merge the libraries together, which merges the projects and you have new additional projects. That's exactly how it works. Um, so that's very nice. So your editor and you can do that over Dropbox, basically, once they get the original footage. Or if you, you do want to download everything off an FTP server and they can't come see you, you could do that too. It would take forever. But uh, on my 10 megabit connection, 150 download and 10 upload. Come on, Comcast. If I want to get symmetrical, I have to pay $300 a month. It's one place where Fios wins, but um, it is $150 for like $60 a month, so I'll take it. Um, it just takes a while to upload. Anyway, I digress. So you and your editor work that way. And there's other ways you can do it, and there's all kinds of sharing platforms and edit share and this, that, the other thing. But I'm talking the small producer with a small team, kind of jury-rigging it. You can share using... Um, a Dropbox and a shared library. It works fine. Uh, you just can't work on the same file at the same time. You need Avid for that. So what about the client? You don't want to send them the project files and they don't have Final Cut Pro 10. And, but you'd, and, and what, what you used to do in the past is kind of po post the video on Vimeo and they could make comments on a review page. If you had Pro, by the way, $200 a year. Well, they make the comments on the review page. That's great. But they would have to refer to the time themselves. And then they have to describe, like, could you maybe reduce the color of this ball, make it more red? Or could you maybe, you know, move move the title this way? Or we don't like that picture and all this. And you would kind of have to go through their notes. And often it would come in an email and figure out what the hell they were talking about. And, and if you had a very good client that was very savvy, and many of mine are, um, they will give you time code, but it's not always exact. It's a pain in the ass. With a collaboration platform like Whipster and like Frame.io, Whipster.io is the website, by the way, and there are others. You send the file to Whipster. You can upload it, send it over. They get a link. With Whipster, they don't have to uh, have anything. Um, they don't have to have an account. They never have to sign up for an account. They go and they play the video. And if there's anything they want to change, they press pause and they click somewhere on the video at the thing they want to change or where they want to put the call out. And then they type their comment. That comment gets sent to your uh, phone or uh, even on your uh, computer. Uh, if you have the Mac, you'll get a notification. They can also do these uh, comments on a phone. They have a, an app I have read. I have not tested it yet, so if I'm wrong, you can just slap me right across the fucking face. But please don't actually do that. That would be bad. Um, but I, I've read they have a mobile client, so you can do this too. And what it does is it generates a list, like a to-do list of changes that you can also comment on back to them. Um, and adding all these clients is free. They don't charge you for clients. This is not a collaborator you have like five collaborators or something like that. It's unlimited, 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 but only one seat can upload video. So in my uh, situation, the producer, me, uploads the videos that I render out with all the changes from the editors that come in as project files or XML files if they're using some other NLE. Great. Client watches it. They comment. They The callouts, you can actually point like little arrows exactly what they want so not only does the comment end up on the screen and it goes into a to-do list and it makes a marker on the timeline so you can go back and forth between the comments and look at them real quick and people can collaborate on top of each other and you can upload multiple versions that people can look at 
This is all on Whipster, and Frame.io does a similar thing, but um, they can actually point at what they want. Now, Whipster is a per seat, $15 a month minimum charge, or actually maximum charge. It's unlimited everything. Frame.io is a little different. Frame.io is a little bit more advanced. Frame.io, uh, again, I haven't used it, so this is based on what I'm reading on their website, offers the uh, clients the ability to draw like a tele like a telestrator right on the screen and what they want changed. It allows them to upload assets for you to get. So you don't have to side load onto Dropbox. They have some videos or, or logos or something and they don't have to email them to you. They can just upload them right into your project right there and then. Um, Frame.io offers uh, a few other uh, goodies like uh, more int integration with uh, Final Cut Pro 10, like very deep integration with Final Cut Pro 10, where Whipster has nothing to do your NLE at all. Um, you can also scrub through the videos on Frame.io, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and you can't do that on uh, Whipster as far as I know. You probably can, but um, all both services really uh, are fast. They'll upload five times faster than Dropbox. So it's kind of really neat. It's a really neat platform. The um, And you can also compare versions, by the way, which is nice. And you can see what the difference is, side by side even. Um, you can even upload your dailies onto the cloud. And you can put frame guides on there. Both of them are secure. Unfortunately, the problem with Frame.io, I think, is their pricing. So, um, on uh, Whipster, you pay $15 a seat, and that is as I described. With, uh, But it's very simple. No one has to sign up for anything but you, the person uploading stuff. And it's unlimited everything else. Unlimited data, unlimited users, unlimited projects, unlimited whatever thing. For $15 a month, Frame.io gets you 10 gigabytes of storage space, which is actually a decent amount of size for rendered out, you know, H.264 files, even 4K, but it's not that much. Um, that might be a 10-minute 4K file, for example. It gives you three projects, and it gives you 10 collaborators, and a collaborator is anybody, a team member or a client. So you are limited. So for the price, it seems like you get much more with Whipster because you, um, you have unlimited storage and you have unlimited collaborators. Uh, on the flip side, if you want more than one team member, one more, than, more than one person uploading, um, Frame.io is a better deal potentially depending on how much data you are putting up there. So I haven't messed around with either of these. I'm probably going to go with Whipster because my clients just demand complete simplicity. And while Frame.io has this nice integration with Final Cut Pro 10 and all this and that, and they do all kinds of cool stuff with the uh, Telestrator and um, you know scrubbing through the files and annotations and all this, um, um, you know, neatly stacked little visuals of what people have commented and so forth, where Whipster is very pretty straightforward it gives you a list of comments and you can go back and forth in the video to the comments and you can see what they clicked on and that is it it is hyper simple and sometimes your clients want hyper simple they don't want to mess around they don't have to figure crap out they want you to, to upload it they want to go through the file they want to add their comments you want to see them that's it that's all the platform does it is very 
very simple, and it versions. That's it. So I'd like to know if any of you are using Whipster or Frame.io or another service. Email me at paulanticipatemedia.com. Let me know what you're using. Let me know what you prefer, and uh, we can talk about it. Online collaboration for video. This is a new thing. It's exciting. And uh, both of them let you kind of zip your final versions over to your clients. You use Vimeo for that with Whipster. I'm excited. This is going to be much better than just using a plain old Vimeo content page. Let's use Vimeo as the distribution platform or YouTube if you want. And, uh, you know, uh, let the let the client get the file that way, but let them review and comment through this other platform. 15 bucks a month. I mean, for your whole business, if you're just a single producer, you can't beat that, man. Good deal. That's my brain dump on that. The only other thing I'm going to mention this episode, because I do want to keep it brief, is the FS5. Oh, my God. I know you're like, oh, my God, again. Fuck. Well, um, the last episode, I think it was, or two episodes ago, we had the vindication episode where uh, all the Internet haters were effectively silenced, blaming people not for not shooting right when it turned out to be an artifact problem. Sony has now since released the fix. It's version firmware version 1.11. And that tenth of a one, that point one one, uh, firmware version 1.1 added the ability to change your outputs uh, so you could record it internally and uh, see something externally at the same time. Or record externally too, although you lose it off the viewfinder, but that's another story. Uh, version 1, 1.11 added fixes to the XAVC codec. This is huge, folks. This is absolutely huge. What the problem was is there was two actual problems with the camera that have now been rectified. The first problem was the way they had the codec tuned, the XAVCL, areas of wide uh, swaths of color like walls that were lit evenly, skies, things like that of that nature, and shadows for that matter, had big bands of huge dancing macro blocks. I mean, macro blocks in a 4K image that were like 50 by 50 or 40 by 40 or 8 by 8, and, and, and that's a small one. And it just looked horrible. I mean, you saw just ridiculous dancing, banding disaster if you had any shots like that. It didn't always show because not every shot is like that. But even in the shadows, big blocky mess, just disaster, you know. And, and I would rather have noise that looks like grain that you can kind of tune out or cover up with more grain so it kind of looks natural than that mess. The second problem was the tearing artifact uh, which was like uh, if you had a horizontal um, plane like the top of a monitor or something and you were at uh, I, any ISO beyond 3200, um, which is a native 0 dB, or sometimes even then in any picture profile, if you move the camera around subtly, especially if something was out of focus, you saw this blocky streaking, like it looked like digital pixels streaking across the edges and the ghosting, you saw ghosting too, very prevalent. But the streaking blocks was the big problem. Sony identified these issues very quickly. I'm talking within a month, really within a month. Once they were reported, I originally reported it to newsshooter.com through the first video I think that came out on the subject that caused the internet to go into a head spin. And uh, then uh, uh, Andrew Reed from EOS HD did his own testing, and many others did their own testing, and they funneled all their comments to Sony. Um, 
In deference to Sony, I never actually contacted them directly because except for Sony support, I wouldn't know who to contact. I know that Dan Chung at New Shooter and Andrew Reed had contacts at Sony, so I relied on them to take the footage and the samples and run with it, and they did. And Sony released the fix. The first fix was to the codec itself. Um, luckily, uh, it, it actually can be fixed in camera. And what they did is it looks like they tuned the codec. Uh, the, I say codec, but the encoder is really what it is on the encoding chip. They tuned the software so that areas of wide uh, you know, color where there are bands of color that change over instead of having just smooth gradients with big dancing blocks on them, it now uh, seems to spread out those blocks into tiny little blocks all over the place that look like noise. It looks like noise. It's just a fine kind of grain, and sometimes it's a little bit of a chunky grain, but it's grain that your eye really doesn't pick up on because it's kind of a Gaussian pattern. It doesn't really have a, an order to it. You know, one thing about cameras is when you have a fixed pattern noise, it's very noticeable because it's a pattern our eyes are very good at picking up patterns or actually our brains are very good at picking up patterns when there's no pattern there could actually be more noise and randomness there but you typically won't pick it up or your brain can kind of process over it versus you know a, a bunch of um, patterns that's why the black magic say 4k camera one of the other Blackmagic production cameras, um, their noise is pattern noise. It's fixed pattern noise. So you start to see crosshatch patterns and some of the noise in the shadows, and it looks so digital and horrible and so non-analog, and you go, ugh, get that shit off my screen. That's what this looked like. So some others ranting and raving about you're not exposing it right and noise is what it is, and you have to learn that this is not the FS7 and all this bullshit. Well, there's some truth to that. In that the noise did not change in this firmware. The noise is still there. The camera is noisier, even though it has the same sensor, or very similar sensor to the FS7, which is the same sensor as the FS5. The processing is different, and it's noisier. It looks blockier um, at similar uh, gain. For any other reason, simply, any other reason at all, then you're... Encoding 100 megabit 4K, which is equivalent to 25 megabit HD, and we know that has problems too. You know, look at um, AVC HD. It's not a lot of data. Also, you're at 8 bits of color and 420 color resolution. With the FS7, just for, for reference, it's 422, 10-bit, and it's uh, 240 megabits, I believe, a second, or 220 megabits a second. Uh, for 24p 4k it's a huge and it's intra frame it's a huge freaking difference in how much data you're getting similarly the fs5 records 10 bit 422 50 megabit hd which is pretty damn good but even the hd showed these macro blocks so whatever natural noise was in the image from the sensor it was getting artifacted and, and causing a mess and that is why i characterized the noise as noisy like messy, macro blocky mess, because it was the noise, but the way it was being presented was really digital looking and really horrible and really pattern filled and really, really noticeable. This firmware fixes all of that. The noise is still there if you don't expose right, but the noise will look like noise, kind of an analog kind of grain 
in many cases, and not big, chunky rectangles dancing over the noise. Not bands of smooth gradation with huge, dancing, big, chunky blocks, like 64-pixel blocks, dancing rapidly along the edges of the bands. It's all gone. It's all gone. And I've tested it, and it looks great, and it really helps in slow-mo, which is noisy. And uh, in regular footage, I mean, you could probably go to ISO 6400 now, and at least it's noise and not digital artifacts. Huge, massive improvement, massive, and it changes the game on the camera. The camera basically now looks like the RX100 Mark IV, the RX10, I believe it's called, Mark II, the A7S Mark II, the A7R Mark II, that kind of compression, that kind of codec, that kind of noise is what you see. Of course, you see less on the A7S II. You see marginally less on the A7R II as far as noise is concerned. But the characterization of the noise is similar amongst all the platforms. It is neat. It is analog looking. It is, it is something you could cover up with grain or remove very easily if you wanted to. And uh, there's hardly any at ISO 3200 0 dB gain, which is, uh, I believe, ISO 1000 and the Cinegammas. Um, or maybe 640, I'm not sure. And uh, it, in, in any kind of decent light, you can now use 6400, no problem. Um, it's very clean. When you add a recorder to it, what you're just getting is more data, more color, more information, so it's, it's cleaner. And it starts to equal the FS7, which has more data, more color, more information, so it's a cleaner image and there's less perceived noise because there's just less, there's more data there, there's more picture information. You're not going to get your 10 bits out of that camera until Sony enables in the version 2.0 firmware. This is planned. Got it straight from Sony through Andrew Reid. Um, the FS RAW update where the, um, the uh, SDI out of the camera, as it does in the FS700 now, as it does with the add-on pack for the FS7, the, the XDCA pack, uh, it's a single 3G HDSDI port that exports a mildly compressed raw at 12-bit, I'm sorry, 14-bit. And then the Shogun and Odyssey will both take these and convert them, if you'd like, to ProRes, S-Log ProRes, uh, which would be, by the way, 10-bit 422 ProRes. Um, so you will get uh, a, a downsampled from 14-bit to 12-bit, really clean, beautiful image. Um, out of the raw uh, into any flavor of ProRes that you want, HQ, whatever, out of that uh, link. Um, and I believe they're going to add it for free. Don't quote me on that, but it's been presented in, in a few sources now as an additional firmware feature coming up soon and not something you'll have to pay for, no hardware you'll have to add to the camera. So my review, 27 minutes in, let's get to my review. This is a wonderful run-and-gun camera. The variable ND on this camera is extraordinary and really allows you to run and gun with it great. Focusing with the um, built-in EVF and the viewfinder is tough because the peaking does not work well on 4K images, but it's very strong on HD. So you've got to zoom in with that uh, focus uh, enhancement and kind of move that around and then try, you hope to find an image where the peaking will work because it gets blurry. Um, 
when you zoom up. The FS7 uh, is, is it used to be the same way, but they, in firmware 3.0, they've significantly enhanced that so it's better, it's sharper. Um, the FS5 is, is still a little muddy. I have not looked at them side by side yet. Like, oh, let me look at this viewfinder. Oh, let me look at that viewfinder. I haven't done that yet, but um, as I recall, the FS5's image now looks like the FS7's did uh, prior to firmware 3.0. So it is hard to judge critical focus, especially if you have a moving subject. You kind of have to do it by faith, and I don't like that. If you attach external uh, monitor, you're going to get much better um, focusing on there. But it does work. Secondly, having the viewfinder on the back is helpful because you can kind of shoot it like a big SLR. You can kind of... Sh- you p- use your face as a point of, um, of stabilization and then put your one hand on the lens and the other hand in the grip and you get a very stable platform you can run around with. I like that a lot. The handle I like, the ability to move the monitor I like. The thing is pretty rugged. It's made of magnesium, the frame anyway, and rugged plastic around that magnesium. Um, it's, uh, it's very nice. It will run for like five hours on a 256 gigabyte card. Um, and the internal footage, uh, I've already talked about the external, which is extremely good um, and matches the FS7 almost exactly. The internal footage is very good and is similar to one of the Alpha 7 cameras, which is also to say very, very good. Uh, broadcast quality 4K, eh, you can argue if you don't put a recorder on it, maybe, maybe not. But it's very good and it's totally usable with this firmware. As the camera was designed, and I know this for a fact, as a C100 killer, it is, in fact, a C100 killer now. Its HD is vastly superior um, in, uh, you know, technical quality because you get the 10-bit 422 in camera. And it adds 4K as a bonus, which is as good as, you know, in overall quality and bitrate and so forth and color as you got from the C100 uh, in HD. Also, I think the body is better. The screen is better positioned. Um, you can do more with it. It's just a better overall design. Where the C100 wins is in color science. But um, go to that Burt LUT um, if you want uh, you want some nicer color. That works so well. Although it doesn't look like it's tuned to the FS5. It's a little greener, by the way. Use Film Convert. They have an FS5 pack out now. Matches the cameras perfectly. You don't even think about it. Um, you can tweak a little bit of the green out of the image and make the match. It's very similar to the A7S um, now. Um, but, you know, they're, they're all in the ballpark. And you can get great-looking skin tones uh, out of these cameras. You just have to tweak a little bit and find a LUT that works for you or find a look that works for you and then just use it all the time. I mean, it's not that hard. How hard is that? But if you don't want to think about it, yeah, they can, and, you know, Take it out of the box and press record. You're going to get a good image. It's easy to grade. It looks nice. But overall, do I think this is a C100 killer? I do. Um, if you don't want to think about it, the C, um, the Canon cameras will be great. But uh, otherwise, on paper anyway, this thing is fantastic. Uh, you just have to tweak it a little bit. But really, honestly, I use Film Convert. I use a lot. On the FS7, I use the Burt LUT. Burt, uh, um, from the previous episode, I recommended his LUT. And it's just a drop and a slight tweak, and it's done, and it looks like an Aerie Alexa, and it's fantastic. On the FS5, uh, and I also use Film Convert. On the FS5, I also use uh, Film Convert, and that's the easiest way to do things. 
I can use Bert's LUT, but it needs a couple of um, modifications in the color wheels and the curves to kind of match, but it's very close. And Bert, if you're listening, I hope you do an FS5 version as well, because they're very close. Uh, very easy to match the two cameras. You know, you tweak it once, you develop a look, save the LUT. You can also, by the way, develop a look in Film Convert, which has a three-way color corrector in it and a bunch of other features. You can develop that look and save it as a LUT. I don't think you knew people knew that. You can save it as a LUT, which you can then use in the field. Or you can use uh, anytime you want. You can send that to someone that doesn't have Film Convert and say, just apply this. Um, so that's really neat. And you can you know, use that as a baseline for um, your grades and uh, do something else and resolve whatever you want. So Film Convert's really nice. I like it a lot. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it really has some nice looks. And if you don't want that analog look, you just want a clean image, use a lot. The point is, the FS5 is a winner. Great battery life, great build. Um, it's lacking some codec, uh, you know, capability and a few other things. But overall, it is a great camera. And with the firmware version 1.11, I can finally recommend it. If you want to see what it looks like, I put out a slow motion video of my son running around a park, which is to test uh, the slow-mo because the slow-mo is very noisy. You need a lot of light on it. So this is a good way to see where those macro blocks fall or where they don't in this case, and you can see that it's pretty clean. There is an image bug of some kind in the slow-mo. It highlight aliases in slow motion pretty badly, and it shows as... Or, um violet and pink blocks like digital blocks around specular highlights now the fs100 did this all the time it was horrible the c300 did this out of the box it was pretty bad too they cleaned that up with the firmware upgrade thanks to me reporting that um on uh oh god uh next wave dv i think the site was called i think they're still out there now but the production company unless a blog so canon fixed that pretty pretty quickly I don't see the highlight aliasing in the FS7 or the FS5 in any objectionable way in regular recording, but it does exist in the super slow-mo. Um, I think in many shots you don't really see it, and you can see it's called a field of dreams, no reference to baseball, um, in um, my latest Vimeo page uh, video, field of dreams, uh, FS5, just look that up uh, on Google, you'll find it. And you can catch that there. And I also have some 4K coming out. Eric Nasso. It's Nasso, by the way. Um, uh, I'm going to link to his video in the show notes, too. He just put out a, a great uh, FS5 version firmware 1.11, um, which shows you what it looks like at night, which can be very noisy. And the noise, he, he really up went up on those shadows to try to get a good image to show you how it handles noise. And uh, it did pretty well. It did pretty well. It is noisy uh, in extremely low light, but what camera isn't noisy in extremely low light? We're talking about hardly any light at all in these scenes, some of them. And uh, in other scenes, like a, as a patio with like street lights and stuff, it looked great. And he didn't even apply noise correction to that sucker. Could you have done that version 1.1 or 1.0 of the firmware on the FS5? No fucking way. It was a fucking mess. It looked like a Fisher-Price camera. Now it doesn't. So thank you, Sony, for listening. Uh, I do recommend this camera as a B camera to the FS7 or similar style camera. 
As an A camera, if you don't have a lot of money, it will do well too. As an HD camera, it is superlative, uh, very clean with very um, little noise, uh, or when I mean noise, I mean like digital kind of artifacts from from lack of color, 420 artifacts, that kind of thing. In a 420, just quickly, and then I'm going to let you guys go. In the C100, I always use a Ninja recorder from Atomos on that thing, and I'm going to tell you why. Anytime you had this, the aforementioned skies or gradient walls or that kind of thing, there was color blockiness. There was color macro blocking, which was caused essentially by a lack of color information being fed to the codec um, because it was 420. So you had some dancing blocks and stuff. It was random. It wasn't fixed pattern. It didn't look bad, but it was there, and I didn't like it. When you recorded 422, all that went away. It was still 8 bits, but all that problem went away. The C300, its big brother, which I also owned at the time, did none of that. So with a recorder, they were about equal. It's kind of the same thing with this camera. If you put a recorder on them, they're almost equal. The uh, FS7 has 10 bits of color, which means you can push and pull it more. Um, and you won't get any kind of banding at all in, in the skies or ever, you know. Um, but they're, 98% of your shots, they're virtually identical because the color and data is there. Um, internally, for 4K, you're going to lose some. I and mean, some shots will be a little noisy. It's just the way it's going to be. Some shots are going to have some color noise in them. But instead of looking like an absolute fucking useless disaster where there's all kinds of strange color and weird artifacts, now you just have noise. Is it a noisy camera? Not at ISO 3200, which is very sensitive, by the way, native gain. No. No, it really isn't. It's pretty damn clean. It's not FS7 clean in the shadows. No, but it's, it's, it's up there. Um, in, uh, HD, it's even better. So I love this camera and it happens to be when I'm doing a lot of my shooting on the other camera. I use a lot of ZA7R2 and I pull out the FS5 when I need a proper shoulder camera or I want a cinema, you know, camera that will make cinema like footage and F, F, uh, 55, F5 style image. And I'll plan to put the recorder on and record from that raw output when it comes out when I want to make the FS5 the same way. But it will hold up in interviews. It will hold up for corporate. Frankly, it will hold up for web. It will hold up for television. It will hold up for 4K distribution on YouTube and stuff. It will hold up if you use it as a grab-and-go, run-and-gun camera, a B camera for interviews, a B camera in a pinch, and uh, your image is going to look fine now. They did a great job with this firmware. I continue to look forward to what they're going to do in future firmwares. The FS5 now has a high recommendation for me here at the Neat Creative Brief podcast. And I'm happy to have it in my kit. And I'm happy to hire people that have it. My preference will always be to have it paired with a recorder, if possible, just to get the best quality image out of it. But I do know, like the C100, if the recorder fails, like it did for me on a job... Um, that the internal recording will work well enough, uh, like it did on that job. Um, the Ninja had a problem locking onto the signal, and uh, I got an interlaced image, which sucked. I couldn't use it, so I went to the internal recording. On the FS5, you can do that. Just use your external recorder as your viewfinder. Use your viewfinder or the screen as just the data output to show you your histogram and so forth and so on, so you'll have an idea what the camera's doing, how much time is left, and all that. And you can record internally and externally at the same time. That's what version firmware 1.1 added. 
1.1 cleans up the image. It also cleans it up externally. You have no more of that blocking uh, mass on the external image as well. So they cleaned up the 3D noise reduction, and they also cleaned up the allocation of the bits in the codec. Yes, in the previous firmware, if you shot noisy or didn't shoot your S-log right or didn't have your levels up or you underexposed, you are going to get noise and you're still going to get noise. The noise didn't change. The rendition of the noise changed to look random, Gaussian, and much less digital. And that, my friends, is a win until these sensors are ultra clean. And frankly, I add grain to the FS7's image because I find it too clinical anyway. I like noise. I like a little bit of noise. Film has a little natural grain. It's got a little natural noise. Noise isn't a problem. It's when it looks like it came from Hal's mind. You know, Hal, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, that's when it's objectionable. You know what else is objectionable? 41 minutes. The neat creative brief ain't so brief. I apologize for that. Don't use the word ain't either, unless you're from the South. I ain't fixing. I ain't, I ain't finna to talk to you about nothing. <laughs> Sorry if you're from the South. I love Southerners. Thank you for listening. Please leave feedback, Paul, and anticipatemedia.com. I did get a request from a, a longtime listener of the original Neat Creative Podcast, now the Go Creative Show. Go listen to it. Great recent episode with Ben Eckstein. Um, I did get that request, but I'm not going to do interviews because I really don't have the time to book them and deal with them. I record this whenever I got a chance to sit down for a few minutes and talk to you guys. And I just don't have the time to do interviews. I might squeeze one in here and there. I might do one at NAB. I don't know. But um, no, generally not. This is uh, me and you shooting the shit over a beer or chocolate milk or tea, if that's what you're into, uh, about gear and um, about collaboration, about production. So we're going to move away from cameras uh, until NAB. Um because we're done. We'll talk about lenses, though. And we're going to talk more about um, some software tools coming up, like sound software tools, Isotope, great package. Now they have an RX pack that lets you take some of the best um, you know, dialogue denoiser and de-click and de-hum out of their recent RX5 audio pack and just buy those for 100 bucks. I bought it. Well recommended. We'll talk about the future of Final Cut Pro 10. We'll talk about um, Whipster and all these things. Um, and tools that you can use to do things better. We'll also talk about uh, what f-stop you shoot at when you run and gun. I use f4. Even if I have a 2.8 lens or, or greater, and my primes, they go down to 1.4. That's not including the speed booster, which makes them like a 0.07 equivalent. Who the hell can shoot at that and keep it clean? Especially in 4K, your critical focus is much more important. Fuck that. Use f4. We'll talk about that. f4, f5.6. What do you use? And uh, I might even throw some old neat creative podcast stuff in here. Like I got a great episode from um, way back with um, Shane Holbert. I might just put that in here. I got some great interviews over time and I may uh, just toss them in here um, and rebroadcast them along with some new content. So um, I guess it's brief for a day. I'm not going to the gym. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. I love the FS5 now. Thank you, Sony, for fixing your mistakes. And next time, you know, do some better QA. But we all learn, right? Nobody's perfect. It's a great camera. You're going to like it. C100 Killer.
pretty much. Although I know someone down in Sydney is going to disagree with me. Brother, it is what it is. They're both great cameras. All right. I love you all. Bye-bye.